Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Helger. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Brendan, I hear whispers that you are playing a mobile game. It's popular. It's all the rage. It's all the rage. It's the biggest thing to hit the iPhone since Pokemon Go. Mm -hmm. It's by the same company. Oh, is it? Niantic? It is. It's called Harry Potter Wizards Unite. I love that. Yeah, it's an okay name. It's an okay name. I um I, I knew that this game was coming. I didn't realize it was coming this soon. It came out a day early, so I immediately downloaded it and tried it out. And let me tell you, Steven, it is a lot like Pokemon Go. It is like very similar in, in a lot of key ways and then extremely different in a lot of really important ways. So let me just give you a quick high level of like... Yeah, please. The ga- the I game. actually know nothing about it. Okay, I'll give you a high level yeah. of the game like mechanically and just how it differs mm-hmm. from Pokemon Go before we dive into like the nitty gritty shit about it. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. But, I mean, you open up the game, and it is like you are a wizard on a map that is, you know, the Google Earth, Google Maps thing. All of the places that are Pokestops and and Pokemon Gyms and Pokemon Go are either little, like, inns or greenhouses in in this game. And then where the gyms would be are, like, dungeons, essentially. They're, like, um, actually, there's one here that I can tap on right now so I can. They're called fortresses, specifically. Fortresses. Wow, okay. So pretty much you you have like an energy meter in this game in a way that you didn't in Pokemon Go, where going to an inn and then swiping on some stuff, you do like a little spell, you'll be able to eat at the inn and then that replenishes your energy. If you go to a greenhouse uh, and you stop at one of those, you can pull some plants out of the greenhouse and then those are like ingredients that you can use to brew potions, which you can use to heal yourself or give yourself more energy or make casting spells easier. Uh, And then you have fortresses, which are pretty much the raids from Pokemon Go, where like you and a whole group of people will go and fight a bunch of like big evil shit together uh, is kind of the idea. So (laughs) instead of going and catching Pokemon in the way you would in Pokemon Go, you have a bunch of pretty much things from the Harry Potter world that have materialized in some way in the real world and you have to try and like magic them away essentially. And like that's, that's the loop of the game is these things are popping up, you have to go find them and then get them to go away because, and now here's you know, so that's like high level, like what the game is essentially. Mm-hmm. Just worth mentioning, like say uh, I don't know, a troll shows up in the real world. Uh, you have to like cast a spell and then make the troll go away. So like that's that's how it works. So like a, a, a prompt will show up on screen that's like a line that you have to drag your finger on, and then it uh, it judges you based on how accurately you trace the line. Essentially, like that's how you cast a spell, and the line disappears like as soon as you start doing it. So you're like just kind of drawing where you think the line should be, and then it's like okay, mm-hmm. you did like a fair job or a good job or a great job or a perfect job um ah. which is similar to the ball closing in inside or the the <laughs> ring closing in in pokemon go mm-hmm. and like how how precisely do you hit that target so that's that's how the game works uh, and every time you go and cast a spell that uses up some of your energy and that's why you go to inns and then replenish your energy and all that stuff so that's the game that's that's the loop of the game on a, on a high level that's that's how it's different and similar to pokemon go the important thing is the story the story of this game is fucking weird and wild, and I and I oh, yeah. and I <laughs> I need to tell you about it because I can't stop thinking about it, and I've please, been like please, please, waiting please. with bated breath to record this podcast so I can tell you about <laughs> it. I'm so excited. Okay, so the setup for this game is. <laughs> It's after all of the books and all the movies. Worth asking you, actually, beforehand. 
How much about Harry Potter do you know? Surprisingly little. So I whoa, okay, this, yeah, this is something that because you know me, I love teen angst, I love spells, uh huh, and I somehow I read the first four books and then just kind of fell off. Whoa, and I'm like okay, yeah, which really frustrates a lot of my friends because they're like, that's like the the climax, like that's like the turning point of the story. Why would you stop at four? Yeah, it's like <laughs> when, when it gets good. It's like yeah, okay, yeah. I don't know, man. I think I've always had this like inner shitty Stephen. Like if more than ten people tell me to do something, I'm like nah, and then. I move on to the next thing oh yeah i know what you're talking about it's between like five and ten that's like the sweet spot and then as soon as like too many people hit yeah i mean that's not the actual reason but i I don't know i just i never really uh i really enjoyed what i read and i had the same experience with the movies i've seen like half of them (laughs) Uh i saw the one where there are a bunch of harry potters in one room and like there's like a bunch of harry clones i don't even remember that but i think there's maybe that was a nightmare i had but there's a (laughs) I don't know, man. I, I, I like it. I just never really, like, stayed with the series. Wow, interesting. Okay. So, I know, like, I know Dobby. I know uh, uh, the <laughs> shitty family Harry has to deal with for the first hundred pages until the story begins. Right, I know, yeah. I'm into, like, all the pseudo-astrology shit with the houses and mm-hmm. with, like, all that. Although, honestly, just some brief uh, make it about me for a second. Sure. I've, I've been prompted to take a lot of, like, what house are you quizzes by friends of mine and by my own curiosity curiosity and it's never like i just don't i don't think i got into hogwarts because i'd never get the consistently <laughs> like i did a buzzfeed one which was like what percentage house like it gives you a percentage for each house mm. i got slytherin which like i don't think i give off at all i think i just liked lizards a lot and they're like well you're in slytherin <laughs> uh-huh. i took pottermore twice i got ravenclaw the first time which was like okay but i don't really feel like i'm a ravenclaw and i got gryffindor the second time I'm like okay but that's also being like i'm the main character i'm the i'm the hero you know yeah uh, i don't want to Hufflepuff because like I don't want to be at Hogwarts I think yeah and but what I did take was which character you are and I got Luna Lovegood which I was happy with so I think my my house is that I'm Luna I like that okay I think uh, that would make you a Ravenclaw I think she's Ravenclaw oh, okay all right I'm happy there yeah it's fun it's it's actually funny that we bring this up because I I just went to go see um long story short I went to go see a live performance of a lot of podcasts that I have never listened to uh recently because <laughs> my friend uh, is is in the company uh that that does all the podcasts and produces all of them. So I was going to his live show and one of the podcasts is called Potterless, which I had never heard of before, but is is by this guy. I think his name is Michael Schubert. And he got up on stage. It, uh, the, the conceit of the podcast is that he's never read Harry Potter. He somehow missed it and is going through all the books and reading all of them and like kind of commenting on them as like a person who is new to this franchise and is like trying to get as in-depth and in the weeds as everybody has always told him that he should be. And this whole episode was about Hufflepuff, was about the house. Uh, and the really fascinating thing, which is kind of in line with what you were talking about, he was like, it's really weird that when they were setting up Hogwarts, there were the four founders of the four houses, and Gryffindor was like, give me all the brave ones. I want those. Those are the ones that are going to be in my house. And then Rowena Ravenclaw was like, I just want the smartest people in the room. I want the people who are like highly inquisitive, and they just like really want a bunch of shit. And then the Slytherin guy, uh, the way he phrased it on, on stage was, give me all the racists, which is like, okay, holy shit. Um, but... <laughs> It's it's really I, I think their thing is like self motivated like power hungry people is is like yeah, the idea behind yeah. them and then the founder of Hufflepuff was like what the fuck guys just get like yeah. I'll take any give me anyone I'm just teaching people <laughs> magic like Who it's wants weird the fucking that, party yeah that's, <laughs> it's weird that you guys want like very specific people like just just teach people magic that's all they yeah. they're here to learn magic don't don't judge them before they even start doing that okay my emblem's a badger whatever like, I don't care. 
Anyway, point being, I'm a Ravenclaw. That's what I was getting to. Oh, are we both Ravenclaws? I like that. Yeah, I'm a Ravenclaw. Um, I, I always I always thought of myself as either a Hufflepuff or Gryffindor, and then I took the Pottermore test, and it was like, you're a Ravenclaw, and I was like, you know what? You're right. I, I am a Ravenclaw. Anyway, shit. What were, what were we even talking about? What was the point of Harry this? Potter, go. Oh my god, Hagrid, yeah. I forgot go. we, were, we were talking about Harry Potter, Wizards Unite. Okay, cool. So, I am interested in the fact that you, you have not gotten further than the fourth book, but... Um, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> That's another show. I am a big Harry Potter person. I like. Oh, I didn't know that. Really was fully, fully, fully invested in it when it started. I was gifted the first three books as like a collection and then read all three of them like repeatedly until four came out. Started going to like midnight releases for the books and then midnight releases for the movies. Like I was like fully invested. When the seventh one came out, when the, when the final book came out, I went to the midnight release. I bought the book set up a lawn chair in my backyard at my parents' house and read the whole thing until I was done. Like, I just did not stop reading it until I was done, like, that day. Because I was, like, so invested in it. So I I have, a, I would say, a predisposition to love this game and sure. be extremely into it. Here's, yeah. here's the story of the game. The story of the game okay, is that after the books and movies, slight spoilers for you, Harry Potter ends up being an Auror, which is like, I would say like a magic FBI in a way, where like they go out and they're hunting down like the worst of the worst, like criminals in the magic community and like taking them out and sending them off to Azkaban. Like that's what Harry Potter like ends up doing in his future. So he goes there, Hermione works in the Ministry of Magic, which is like unsurprising. I forget where Ron ends up, but I haven't seen him in this game yet. So I don't know, they haven't like fully filled in that blank yet. In my head, I just imagine Ron at Applebee's for some reason. <laughs> Ron, Ron, Ron's like, a manager at like, an Applebee's. Like uh, the, the, but he, yeah. like everyone loves him. Like he does a great job. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he comes by the yeah. tables. Like, how is everything? They're like way better now that you're here. Thanks, Ron Weasley. Yeah. Anyway, so the idea is that at some point, like with whatever happened in the books and movies, whatever happened next released this wave of magic into the human like muggle society. So a bunch of magic shit is starting to pop up all over the place. And it's not just like evil shit. It's not just like, oh, a, there's a basilisk in Times Square. But it's like, oh, a remember all has like, do you remember the remember all? It's like the little orb that fills up with a gas that turns red if you forget something. I remember Dobby and like the girl's bathroom was always haunted. Okay. And... Okay, the so bean, so the jelly beans that taste like boogers. Imagine if if just like a house elf just like materialized like on the corner of of my street in Hawthorne. Like that's the idea. <laughs> is like that was me, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the idea. Is like all of this stuff is just kind of popping up into the world, gotcha, and your gotcha. job um, as as just like a member of the wizarding society uh, or wizarding community is to magic all that shit away so muggles don't see it. You're protecting what's mm. called in the in the universe the statute of secrecy. Um, which is this idea that the Muggle community and the Wizarding community can never intermingle; they can't intertwine. You have to, you have to protect the statute of secrecy and keep all of this shit away from the Muggle society. So that's your job. And things continually pop up on the map as you're walking around. That's like, oh shit, there's I don't know, a, a ghost moaning Myrtle, for example, actually does show up every once in a while. Like, oh shit, moaning Myrtle just appeared like on the corner of this street, and you need to get rid of her. Uh, so she'll pop up, and then you magic her away, and you send her back to Hogwarts, or it was weird. <laughs> Hogwarts was, like, was... why are people sending ghosts back to us? We're at school. <laughs> <laughs> Stop um, sending ghosts back to us. So, so the conceit 
meat of the game is you're going around and doing that. Now, there's some more like in-depth game mechanics that I find really interesting about this, which uh, I'll, I'll get to like more shit about the, the story of it. But there's some interesting stuff where like once you start leveling up enough, you have the ability to like get a kind of wizarding passport and you can like add, they have like some AR stuff where like you take a photo of yourself and you can put on like a, a Hogwarts robe and stuff. You get to like choose your wand and choose your house. Um, and once you hit level six in the game, you choose a profession. Oh, wow. And the professions are aura, zoologist, like magic zoologist. So you're studying like like magical creatures. Like Hagrid's kind of thing, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then professor. And, and you can choose one of those three professions. And each of them have different, different skill trees that you go down that apply bonuses to when you're like actually fighting creatures. So like if you're in uh, one of those fortresses with a bunch of people, like the aura is, is the DPS, the zoologist is the support, and then the professor is like the tank. Um, which is kind of wild that there's like literally the the like MMO RPG like three classes thing going on in this game but like yeah. you work your way down these skill trees and unlock bonuses that apply to like okay I'm doing extra damage I'm defending uh, other people on my party or in my party better really really fascinating like there's a lot of depth of this game in a way that I wasn't expecting but anyway the idea of this game is that you are you are protecting the muggle society from learning about magic and you're protecting the magic society from from spilling out into the muggle world and and literally on on your passport your magic passport that you get uh when they ask you i'm just bringing mine up right now they ask you okay so take a picture of yourself enter your name uh enter your house your profession once you hit level six enter your wand uh and then there's a thing that's called title like what is your title um, and there's only one that's unlocked right at the beginning, and it's Statute of Secrecy Supporter is the only one that you get. Wow, I love that. And you get other ones as you go further down, and you start like unlocking achievements and doing things like that. But Statute of Secrecy Supporter is the only one that you get at the beginning. And Steven, let me tell you something. I have a huge problem with this. Okay. I do. I do not like this. I am not. not? A, I I have refused to choose a title because I am not a Statute of Secrecy supporter. I cannot support the Statute of Secrecy. It fucking sucks. It's lame. So you want you want people to learn about magic? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Steven, if there was a whole world, if there was a whole wizarding world, if this existed in real life, would you not want to know about it? I feel like my impulsive nature wants to learn about magic. Sign me up. Yes. But I understand the wizard's precaution of like, hey, this is a lot of power to spill out into the into the muggle world. It's kind of, I just thought of Fallout 3 with the Oasis. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea there was like, there's this part of Fallout 3 that's like actually like full of plants and trees. And there's this tree that can talk uh, mm -hmm. named Harold, I think. Harold Potter. There's a, yeah. <laughs> Coincidence. Um, <laughs> wow. Maybe. Anyway, there are two people uh, who like lead this kind of group. One wants to spread a bomb on the heart of Harold and the roots to prevent it from growing, to keep this world a secret, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and and the elder wants to have it grow out to share it with the rest of the wasteland. Yeah. So you're in kind of that camp with with the magic where you want to to let everyone know. I didn't realize that that was part of Harry Potter that like people did. So what does Harry Potter's like shitty uncle think he's doing? Like he's just going to summer camp or like what does he think is happening so that's the thing is that there are people on the periphery of the magic community who do know about it and are like uh -huh. sworn to secrecy uh and and like they're they pretty much have tabs kept on them to like make sure that they're not like blabbing about the the wizarding world essentially so like his Jesus. his aunt and uncle do know that the wizarding community exists uh, mainly because his aunt's sister was 
was Lily Potter was Harry's mom who like got accepted into Hogwarts and and she didn't um so she's like bitter about it constantly oh yeah can you imagine which is can why you they imagine hate him so much? trying to keep that a secret I would last like a week yeah I would I would be like listen something my my nephew runs into the train station wall and goes to this rad place it's always under attack <laughs> and I really <laughs> want to go there yeah I think that's why I think I'm happy we're in Ravenclaw because nothing at least in my experience like nothing bad is happening to Ravenclaw they can actually be students you know yeah them and Hufflepuffs are like barely mentioned the whole time it's really just like yeah. Gryffindor versus Slytherin the whole time yeah it's like That's Slytherin's true. causing everything and Gryffindor trying to stop everything and Ravenclaw <laughs> just like really wants to get good grades and Hufflepuff's just hanging out. Hufflepuff's ready to party, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I honestly, it's so funny that this game came out because like literally earlier in the week, I to pass time during my commute, I try and come up with like stories or scripts for like potential movies that exist in like huge IPs. Like, okay, you you have like the, the Detective Pikachu movie, which is great and all, but what if you just like set a rom-com in that world? Like, what if you just like, what if you just did a rom-com in that? What if you just did like a David Attenborough Planet Earth documentary? Like David Attenborough narrates a Planet Earth documentary set in the Pokemon world and just release oh, that in theaters awesome. like that's the kind yeah. of shit that i just do to like pass the time on the train and this week my thing was like okay what kind of interesting stories can you tell in the harry potter world like what kind of shit could you do and i was thinking how fun would it be to set a movie in like 2003 so like a kid shows up like with an ipod blasting toxic on his ipod as he like rides the boats into hogwarts like that would be so fun and i was just thinking like why does the statute of secrecy exist why is this a thing that exists like you wouldn't be able to bring an ipod to hogwarts they wouldn't let you do that and that sucks that's lame like blend those two communities together because there was a big there's a big thing that happened in, Sorry, in keep going there's a thing that happened in pottermore uh i would i want to say two to three years ago where jk rowling wrote this piece about the history of plumbing in the wizarding world oh yeah no i know this this happened last year it wasn't too long ago uh yeah yeah it was it was like semi-recent but anyway she basically said for those of you who don't know it was a big thing on the internet when it happened but for those of you who, who didn't hear about it the idea is that because the wizarding community can use spells to make things disappear kind of like you're doing in Harry Potter Wizards Unite or whatever, what would happen is you would be having a conversation like you and your wizard friend would both be having a conversation together and you would just like go to the bathroom as you were standing there and then just point a wand at yourself and make it all disappear and clean it all up. So they didn't use plumbing in the wizarding world for like thousands of years. I did the math at one point to figure out <laughs> the point between when modern plumbing, not even modern plumbing, but any plumbing, any kind of like waste removal <laughs> plumbing was invented and when the wizarding world decided we should implement this. And it's like 6,000 years. It's like thousands of years between those two points. Have you ever stopped to think though that maybe like that, like the the wizards who do, who do use plumbing, who do have common sense are like, if we let... <laughs> everyone know about magic everyone's gonna do this like we will undo plumbing <laughs> like that's the reason that they had to keep it a secret is just to not have invisible stinky shit everywhere <laughs> i just i just think that there's like this weird this weird thing in the wizarding community that's like a holier than thou like we know better and the muggles don't sure. know shit so literally so we're just gonna make our shit disappear because we're, <laughs> we're extremely stubborn about 
like adopting muggle technology. And then you have people like Ron Weasley's dad who are obsessed with muggle technology and are like extremely interested in like how a rubber duck works for some reason, because that's like a thing muggles have and wizards don't have. So he's like, oh my God, tell me about a rubber duck. I want to know everything about it. It's fascinating. I think that there's things that we could provide the wizarding community and there's things that they could provide us. And, and a blending of those two communities is, is like a perfect harmonious world in a weird way. Because, like, they're not using any technology at all. None of it. Yeah. Because it is interesting. Yeah. They say in the world, in, in, the, in the lore of the world, that technology, like, fries if it gets near the magic community. Like, if it gets near magic, like, it just kind of, like, shorts out. But there's got to be a way around that. Like, if, if you put those two communities together and, and the best minds of both started to work together, then maybe you get the internet in the wizarding world, right? And you don't have books that scream at you whenever you fucking open them <laughs> and you're trying to learn how to do a spell because you can just Google it, you know? I imagine an infomercial like, tired of books screaming at you? That's right. Muggle technology, I'm telling you, it works. Yes. Kindle. Get it today. Get a fucking Kindle in the wizarding world. Exactly. I, yes. That's so funny. So I, You want tech magic. I do, yes. Extremely. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. what I want. I want sci-fi and fantasy all in one plate. You would really like uh, the comic saga. I know I've mentioned that before. I know. I'm going to read yeah. it eventually. <clears throat> there's a whole, like, there are two warring factions that, like, one uses magic, but it's pitched in a way that's, like, they don't really see it as magic. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So yeah. anyway, that's literally a thing that I was thinking about on the train Monday and Tuesday of this week. And then on Wednesday or, Wednesday or Thursday, this game comes out and is like, the Statue of Secrecy is the most important thing in the wizarding community and you have to protect <laughs> oh, so it. Oh, so you thought about that before yes, the Yes, I was game. thinking oh. about this. Yeah. <laughs> So that's like, it's like someone had the opposite idea and made a game yes. about it. Yes, exactly. I can't, I can't prove it publicly, but you can see it because I have, I, you know, I'm a, a person who exists in modern society and I have an alt Twitter account where I tweet about some of this stuff every once in a while. It's, you know, private and you are privy to it. You can see my tweets about this from Monday uh, about yeah. why I think the statute of secrecy is bullshit. So oh, I like wow. literally was tweeting about this earlier in the week. And then later in the week, the powers that be JK Rowling essentially is like, hi, the statute of secrecy is super fucking important and you need to be a statute of secrecy supporter. You have no other option than to be a supporter of this until you unlock later shit later. But for now, I do not have a title attached to my name because I'm like, fuck this. I don't want this. I am a yeah. bad guy, essentially. <laughs> I'm a dark wizard because I, I'm i like, yeah, put a troll in Times Square. How yeah, do we not? react to that? A troll in Central Park. Yeah, you, you can't just like men in black neuralizer that away at a certain point, you know, like a, a really, a really like high profile wizarding thing showing up in, in the middle of Times Square does not just get magicked away. <laughs> I do think, though, that there may be some room for like gradual introduction to the magic world. And like there's a centaur in the chilies. Uh, someone help yeah. out, please. One of the things that shows up is literally one of the screaming books and it's screaming because it's on fire and you have to put the fire out and then magic it away like is it's like a two-step thing and like imagine yeah. you were just walking down the street in chicago and like not only was there a screaming book but it was screaming because it was in pain like that's horrific yeah, that would, yeah i would definitely want a wizard nearby be like okay so like there's a whole other world but let me like let me give you some bullet points about it uh we <laughs> cr crap in our pants and make it disappear <laughs> Good right. day. this book is usually always screaming but this time it's for a different reason do you want a jelly bean that tastes like boogers <laughs> We got him. My plan with Harry Potter is that when I have kids, I'm going to read 
them with them. Oh, that's nice. Well, wow. because yeah, I love that. I feel like I feel like I would probably really enjoy them now, but I want to share the experience with someone else. Wow. I don't want to share it in a way of like, hey, friends I've had for years, I've finally read Harry Potter. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're going to be like, okay, cool. See ya. So I think it'll be fun to do with my children one day. Yeah. So that's the plan. That's really I'll nice. Keep you posted. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm a big, big Harry Potter fan. I think that world is really fascinating and interesting. I think J.K. Rowling has said some things that are extremely problematic to try and like widen out the world uh, in recent years that has made it worse. But that said, I think what's there in the text is really interesting. And I think what I'm seeing in this game from a story perspective is shitty. <laughs> I do not like it. Uh, What's I, been the reaction otherwise? Like nobody uh, else seems to really care. It seems. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the only one who cares about this. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, I you know everybody's got that thing. You know, you know what I mean? Everybody's got that thing with like a specific fandom somewhere where they have like an extremely specific opinion that like just nobody else is going to care about. Like I, we were just talking before we started recording about Neon Genesis Evangelion and like how that's out on Netflix right now. And like they changed the the ending title song from Fly Me to the Moon to like some like ambient piano track because they couldn't get the rights or they didn't want to pay for the rights or something like that. And like that's a thing that a lot of people care about very specifically. But, you know, if you're watching it for the first time on Netflix, it's you're just going to skip the end credits anyway because Netflix is trying to get you to the next episode right like those kinds of things those kinds of like nitty-gritty opinions there's some like overarching more problematic stuff happening in in evangelion with the netflix version but you know we'll skip that because neither of us have watched it but anyway this is my very specific thing about harry potter is like the statue of secrecy i think sucks and i think that storytelling (laughs) in that world would be way better and more interesting if you got to see the blending of those two societies yeah it sounds like she'd probably i mean i think that rule set in place is probably just to make the story easier to tell. Absolutely. That's the thing. <laughs> you know? That's Okay. One thing that I didn't get to about my, like, weird exercise that I do all the time on the train where I'm just, like, thinking of weird stories and worlds that I love is, like... Yeah okay, this this is the framework for the story that you built, but now that this is out there, like, what's an interesting story that you can tell inside of that? And and I think that that's an interesting story that you can tell inside of the wizarding world now, right? Like, I understand the need to have that. So, like, kids who are, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old who are reading those books for the first time are like, oh, my God, I might get a Hogwarts letter. This might be real, and I don't know it yet. You know, like, that yeah. kind of idea, like, is really powerful when you're that young and reading that story, and, like, the story is for them. So, like, I think it's really important important that it exists in that way i'm just more interested in like okay now that that story exists and is out there like what kind of stuff can you do within that like you built this framework how do you like interrogate that in an interesting way yeah for sure and and i think that like making you a a protector of the statue of secrecy like is kind of like a fun idea if you just have like a bunch of magic shit like running around in the real world i just personally have a problem with it because i have like opinions that don't matter (laughs) (laughs) well it sounds cool i mean i'm glad they're doing more stuff after pokemon go i'm excited for pokemon sleep whatever that is yeah me too I'll i'm gonna pick that up amped for that but yeah that sounds really neat so what's i guess when you're walking around you just discover more stuff is that basically like the go mechanic of it yeah you're walking around and like things will appear on the screen and they kind of like fall under a bunch of different categories so there's like dark magic stuff uh, one of them is called hogwarts legends so like people and things from hogwarts will like appear around you know so that's how you get your like ron weasley interaction you said you saved hagrid right 
I did. Yeah. The the (laughs) the first thing that happens in the tutorial (laughs) is Hagrid shows up and like needs to be saved from a bunch of spider webs, and you do like a very easy spell. It's like you just draw like a straight line, and it's like you did it. You saved Hagrid, and that's like the beginning. Uh, And then the second tutorial thing that they give you is is random, so it's like kind of just whatever shows up. It's like okay, so now that you know how this works, like let's show you how it appears on the map. So an icon will show up, and it'll be floating, and it's um I can just go through them. Care of magical creatures, so like it's a bunch of magic shit. Uh, Dark arts, and that's like howling books and like wanted posters and like dead hands. There's people from Hogwarts. There's legends of Hogwarts, which are two different things for some reason. Ministry of Magic stuff. Magizoology. So that's like just actual magical creatures. Magical games and sports. So like a a golden snitch will be flying around or something. Uh, Mysterious artifacts. Wonders of the wizarding world. And oddities. And that's that's the list of all the stuff that can show up. And they all have their own separate icons. And when they show up, you tap on them. And then that's when like, for example, what happened to me was uh, a, a baby unicorn was getting attacked by a snake. And it was like, you have to save Jesus. this unicorn from this snake. Yeah, absolutely. And I tried doing it. It was a very complex line that I had to draw. And it was literally the second time I had ever done this before. And I fucked it up and it disappeared. It went away. It was like, I think they're called confoundables. It was like the confoundable has disappeared. It's like, oh shit. I just let a baby unicorn die in the tutorial. I just killed a small baby creature in the tutorial of this game, and now I'm racked with guilt, and now I don't want to ever play it again. I'm so sad that I killed this unicorn. I don't deserve yeah. to be a Statue of Secrecy supporter. I don't deserve to even be a wizard anymore, <laughs> because I just let this Ron, unicorn I'm get filling out an application for Applebee's. Let me work here and have peace. <laughs> yes. I I was I felt really bad. But anyway, too. that's kind of how the world works, is like a, a bunch of these uh, little like tokens will appear, and then you tap on them, and then it presents you with um, some magic shit that you have to get rid of essentially cool sounds fun and then you do that and there's like really really long animations which is kind of a bummer because like you're supposed to be playing this game on the go but there's like these really long animations that show up before the thing shows up and then when you get rid of it it's like it goes through a whole like rewards screen kind of like you just finished a hunt in like dauntless or or monster hunter which is weird because like that takes a really long time also it's like you're just trying to kind of fly through it as you're walking around um they don't really let you do that which is bizarre, but yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the the game. That's how the game works. Oh, there's also like eggs in a way. So like you know how there's eggs in Pokemon Go, and you have to walk a certain amount to do that. In this game, they're port keys, which I don't know if you remember from the fourth book, but the port key is what they use to like teleport from one place to another. Uh, in that in that book, it's a boot that they use to teleport to the Quidditch World Cup. They just have to touch the boot, and then it just brings them there. You can unlock port keys, and if you walk far enough with a port key in your inventory, it'll eventually unlock, and you'll be able to tap on it and use augmented reality to look around your environment and it like shows you that you're inside a different place so it'll be like oh now you're inside Hagrid's hut or you're inside Dumbledore's office or something and you can like look around and see it and like tap on stuff it's really cool I just don't have AR turned on and I didn't give them camera access because I didn't want to drain the battery too much because like AR just drains a lot of battery and I don't want to kill my battery playing this game but it's a cool thing if you're into the augmented reality side of things like there's a lot of really cool shit happening in this game I just don't have that turned on yeah Interesting. What's your Patronus? I don't know. Oh, you didn't take that part of uh, Pottermore? No, no, I bailed on Pottermore pretty pretty early on. Yeah, I just I went through all the preliminary stuff and then I never used it again. Yeah. Mine's a steel gray mare, baby. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. To it. Yeah. Wow, good for you. All right, well, that sounds fun. I, uh, I'm excited to hear more about it as you continue playing it. I will probably skip it, but it sounds like a blast. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. 
I <laughs> there's a, honestly like at the end of the day, there's a lot of depth in it, and I I'm I don't think I've like fully scratched the surface of like what there is to do in this game, and I'm kind of excited yeah. to see more no, of it because it like it's cool. way deeper mechanically than Pokemon Go is. And I think it, it's cool to see like Niantic even with Pokemon Go, I feel like added a lot of cool mechanics to that game. I like the idea. Uh, th- this is when I stopped playing, but I had heard that you can choose like to have a Pokemon as like your companion. Yep. And if you walk around, you're gonna get candy for that Pokemon as opposed to having to catch you know because my, yeah. my starter was charmander and there were zero charmanders in chicago so i'm like well cool i can never evolve this yeah but i have eight hypnos because drowsies are overrunning the city right and now they've added the second and third generations of pokemon so the odds of you ever seeing the thing that you want to catch a whole bunch of are like very low yeah. so they had to implement some way and i think that's really kind of elegant now i can have a love thing. disc follow me around and finally have the love disc i want you sure can i have a sneasel yeah. following me i haven't mentioned i didn't mention <laughs> this but i for this podcast i've been playing pokemon go for the past couple weeks um because i wanted to like get back into it now that they've changed it a lot since it came out and it's just kind of funny that like this came out while i was in the middle of doing that but we can talk more about pokemon go sometime but i am enjoying it i'm enjoying playing pokemon go again and i'm playing both simultaneously now which is very weird they're both next to each other on my home screen on my phone (laughs) that's awesome yeah that's really cool yeah maybe i'll check out pokemon go again i don't know we'll see keep you posted on that one thing that i will say just to wrap this whole segment up is pokemon go exists as a way to get you up and active and out and moving around and like that's really cool and like it seems like everything that they made or every mechanic in that game kind of serves that idea from the eggs to like how quickly you get in and out when you're catching Pokemon to like going to a Pokestop and just swiping a thing real quick and then leaving it's all it's all very fast it's all it's expedited in a way that encourages you to continue going Pokemon Go and Harry Potter Wizards Unite really feels like they took everything that worked with Pokemon Go and then just like slapped Harry Potter on it and like tried to get it to encourage the same thing. Like this game doesn't feel to me like it's trying to get me to go out and explore the world. It feels to me like they wanted to make a Harry Potter mobile game and Pokemon Go was successful. So they tried to do the same thing. Yeah. And I'm not super into that personally. Like I I think... There are cool things happening in this game, but it's not accomplishing the same thing because I don't think there's like as as um, focused a design mentality behind it as there was with Pokemon Go. Yeah, I can see that. What was their first game that, that was also like very Pokemon Go-esque? It was called Ingress. Ingress. Yeah, it was like there's a whole world or there's a whole like war happening like in the same world that you live in and you have to download this game to see it. Uh, and it was really cool. Yeah. It was really fascinating. Um, I played it for a little bit with a mutual friend of ours and really enjoyed it. Like really had a cool time with that game and Pokemon Go just felt like a good evolution of that. What's actually really interesting is like people are still playing Ingress as far as I can tell uh, and the highest ranking people in that game were given like the keys to the kingdom for Pokemon Go and for Harry Potter Wizards Unite where like they are, uh, I forget what they're called. They're like Ingress ambassadors or something. There's like a specific name that they've been calling them and they're like, you should put a Pokestop here or you should put like a greenhouse here uh, in more rural areas to like encourage people who live in more rural areas to like go out and and continue playing the game because it's you know if you don't live in a city or like in a bustling town or something it's kind of hard to play those games yeah Um, for sure so they used not used but like they they asked the people who played ingress the most to be the people that like encourage that and like represent the larger community which i think is cool because those people have been playing that game for like eight years at this point so like they know best you know they know best where things should exist in their area which is cool yeah absolutely Harry Potter Go, Wizards Unite. 
Harry Potter Wizards Unite. Yeah. Keep, keep it a secret. Support the Statue of Secrecy blindly without asking any questions. <laughs> I got something to say. I'm the only wizard with the with the courage to say it. There's a whole world out there, people. I want an iPod. <laughs> That's a thing. I'll trade you a screaming book for a Zoom. Come on, please. <laughs> All right, let's take a break because I can't top that. <laughs> let's take a break. I'll I'll read the spark notes for Order of the Phoenix. Actually, that was uh, one of the movies I saw. I was into it. All right, goodbye. Oh, shit. Goodbye. Brendan, we're in the break. Hi, Steven. Welcome to the hey. break. Welcome to the break. We had something we wanted to bring up that was kind of uh, more of a general conversation about uh something that was brought up in our discord by our friend kyle yes kyle, listening hello hi kyle that i think is something other people have brought up in the discord in, in in different ways and i definitely hear a lot from from people in my life and and myself and and i think it's something that would be interesting to discuss on the show since we talk about since i feel like you and i talk about our experience with video games more than like the game itself you know like we're not yeah. really reviewing it we're kind of just talking about like how we're experiencing it obviously we give our opinion but you know um, yeah i think i think this would fit fit what we usually discuss well so yeah i have a question open if you want me to read it yes please cool uh so kyle says in the discord and asks simultaneously howdy uh question for the hosts brendan and steven i love video games i love the idea of playing video games at work i get really excited by the idea of sitting down for a long bout of video games but when i do i begin feeling guilty and even bored am i broken or am i just playing the wrong games have either of you dealt with this and that's the question thank you kyle for yeah so the question yeah thank you kyle that, and that was kind of cool to bring up, and I think it's something that I have definitely experienced. You think about this that, a lot. We talked about this a lot, like, before we even started this podcast, I remember talking to you about, like, hey, should we start a video game podcast? And you were like, honestly, sometimes when I sit down to play video games, like, I feel like I'm wasting time. It's like, I don't know if, like, that's a whole thing that I want to, like, devote time to. Yeah. And you've come around on that since, clearly, because yeah. we've done this for, like, a whole year <laughs> at this point. Yeah, so I guess th- this question opens up so many doors in my head of like different yeah. interesting conversations. So what I'll do just to kind of focus my thoughts is kind of like talk about my experience with video games like in very broad strokes and kind of like how that's changed in recent years and what I think now, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, so, absolutely. So like I think I've touched on this before, but I had no chance to not want video games in my life because I was born, <laughs> my, my sister, five years older, she had a uh, Nintendo, an NES. Mm-hmm. So like right away as a family, we played that together and right. we got a Super Nintendo and that was like a very formative experience where that was something that I just so heavily associated with spending time with my family and spending time with friends, going to a friend's house at age like four and playing Super Mario World and kind of exploring this world together. Yeah. Uh, the, the interactive nature of it really appealed to me as someone who's very extroverted and likes hanging out. <laughs> so that was great. And as I got older, I really loved... Again, I think er, from very early on, my main interests have always been kind of performing arts, writing, and like just creating stories, and and also like performing them. Thank God I didn't know about D and D when I was a kid, because that would have destroyed my life. Like, the <laughs> fact that there was something you could just make that whole experience and act it out, like a you yeah. know, like a ham, I would have fucking ate that shit up. <laughs> I did, I did later in life, but I had more moderation. Anyway, I loved the idea that this weird interactive toy I had as a kid was also becoming something that you could tell stories through. That's why I loved 
Final Fantasy VII so much when I played it at yeah. age seven, uh, and I started to get really into those types of games. Ocarina of Time was like one of the most formative things for me. It was this like again this giant world you could explore and have friends over and talk about what you've discovered, while there's also this really beautiful story happening. And high school, high school was a little bit more on and off. I feel like there were years in high school where I played a lot or I kind of fell off. But I feel like high school began this notion of like playing through similar games. That's when I feel like I started to just to kind of go back to old games. Like I would go back and play Ocarina of Time and I yeah. would do that. I think college especially. I think college is a time where a lot of people like they're free to do what they want with their time in a way that they haven't before. Depending on a lot of factors. But like there is this kind of openness to college. And like for some reason I feel like a lot of people just looked back and were like, oh my god, remember this thing? I would love to experience that again now that i'm like an adult but yeah. have all this time and i think that that's a crucial thing of like having kind of an open schedule college i got way back in two games in a way i think the game that got me back in was mass effect 2 because mm. uh, because i i kind of assumed that like that feeling i got from ocarina of time and final fantasy 7 was like nostalgic i assumed that that was like oh it was like a bright-eyed kid but that doesn't really happen anymore and then i played mass effect 2 and i was like i feel the same thing wow yeah this game that's awesome had me on the edge of my seat with my mouth open I was I cared so much, and the thing is, I went into that game expecting it to be more like a Skyrim, where I would just mess around in space. I made a dude who looked like Bruce Willis with a John Waters mustache. His name is Dingle, uh, <laughs> Dingle Shepherd. But I got so into the story despite that, and I was like, I've 180. Like I'm so invested in this story. And then I got more into that. That same time, like 2010, was when I think there was this really big renaissance of indie games. We got stuff like Bastion and Braid. I think was around the same time. Yeah, Braid was 2008. Minecraft came out yeah. that year in 2010. Yeah, so there was like all this new stuff that was coming out and I was so into that. And then after college, that was kind of just such an open, unsure time for me that I also felt myself slipping back into like, okay, I'll just replay. I'll replay the games I discovered in college now. Yeah. You know, I'll go back to this like cycle. We wrote for our video game website pretty immediately after I graduated. And I kind of felt a little bit out of my depth because I was like, I only have a 3DS. Mm-hmm. Everyone here knows their shit. I'm <laughs> a fucking fraud who just wants to talk about the soundtrack to Chrono Cross. Like, what am I, what do I actually have to say about this? Like, what do I, do I still love this as much as I thought I did? Yeah. And... I was also like that that time in my life I was doing a million things. I felt like I was I don't think there's been a time in my life where I was doing more and felt more like stuck in one place because I it was just the the prototypical okay, I've got an unpaid art gallery internship in New York City that pays me with like coffee and maybe I get my train ride reimbursed. Mm-hmm. I'm writing for a website also unpaid. I'm working at Whole Foods that pays me, but I have no like I can't work there full time cuz I have all these other things that I'm hoping are going to become something else. I'm getting yeah. a bit, you know, like I'm I'm obviously things are better now but that was you know it was it was an interesting time but it was like so much was pending that the idea of me spending the time I did have out of all these ambitions, never mind like I I had other projects going on but the idea of like sitting stationary and playing Dragon Age, like I was like, I can't do that anymore. That's not for me anymore. Right. Which is bullshit, but that's kind of how I felt at the time. And 
that's kind of how I felt for a while. I didn't really play anything for a long time until like 2016. I had moved to Chicago at that point. I had been here for a couple of years. And I remember I when I first moved here, my ambitions were more rooted in uh, the performing arts. So I was doing like a lot of shows and saying yes to everything. I was finally free from my shackles in NJ of doing a unpaid fucking bullshit. I mean, <laughs> I loved our website, but like, pay me. Okay. So I got to Chicago and I had a full-time job and I was doing all these shows and I got to a point in that where I've always been someone with a lot of interests and a lot of different pursuits and I was saying yes to everything and I'd been here for a couple of years and I still, it wasn't the same feeling of pending, but I was like, I feel like I'm dipping my toes into eight different fields and I really want to become like, I really want to focus on like two things and get those done. You yeah. know, I, I don't want to feel like I'm having eight different versions of imposter syndrome, which again, this is all in terms and I think like 99.9 if not 100% of the time when when you do feel like oh man I'm not this thing yet that's internal and I think the yeah. more you can do I know I'm going all over the place with this but I hope I'm gonna do full circle just trust me no I, I mean th this is this I I could fill in a lot of these blanks with like my own experiences and they line yeah. up like almost one to one so like I don't think you're too off base here but I think in terms of imposter syndrome which I think does relate to this conversation a little bit I think the more you can tell yourself like I I am this thing. I identify with the process and not with finite results. Yeah. You know, if you're a dancer or if you're an actor or if you're a writer or whatever, like, I think I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, like, don't put in your Twitter bio, like, aspiring or wannabe or whatever. Like, just say you're the thing because you are. Yeah. That's the and thing. Like, doing is improving. You know, like, yeah. if you're doing a thing, then you are that thing and you are improving at being that thing. You know? And you're never you're never gonna stop growing. So like yeah. you never wanna identify with where you're exactly at at one point in time because it's always gonna change. Right. Easier said than done. But you know, yeah, I'm, that, and I'm that's the it. secret of life. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, nailed it. I figured it out. One anyway, hour into this podcast is hidden the truth of all life. <laughs> yes. So around the same time, twenty sixteen, I had a fucking awful year. Everything bad happened. And mm -hmm. I mean <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but it also was at a point where I was like, I feel feel like I don't feel passionate about whatever I'm working on. And that was the same time where I kind of discovered that I, I uh, drawing had always been a hobby for me. And I was like, oh, I really want to get good at this so I can start making my own stories. Because like my my main thread throughout my whole like creative life has been I love writing stories and I want to make them. And whether that's on stage or, or illustrated or whatever, I, I want to do that. And I got really into comics and I started writing my own things that I hope to share one day soon. Uh, but I digress because I I was like, this has always been a hobby. I know I'm not where I want to be for the stories I want to tell yet, but I'm going to zero in on this and and that's going to be like my focus. And I really like for a year, I like didn't, I said no to hanging out with my friends. I didn't do anything for myself other than practice, which I think is cool. It definitely, I definitely got a lot better in a short amount of time, but I was not living my life. My, yeah. my life became, I don't regret it, but I, I feel like I was not listening to to the part of me that needed something that wasn't about a goal or or results or 
anything but just living in the present moment and kind of like savoring that oh shit I'm alive right now and there's this beautiful thing that I have right in front of me that means X to me now and that's it yeah that's why I really love jogging because it's like I'm not trying to actually get anywhere I'm just in this moment meditation's a very similar idea where it's just I'm not good at meditating because my brain is like what about eight ideas I'm like ah Uh, so Mm -hmm. I gotta get better at at zeroing out but I say all this because around the same time that I got really into drawing I did also I, I, I got a job that paid me a little bit more which was kind of exciting and I I could thankfully afford to treat myself a little bit and I got myself a PS4. <laughs> Three years after writing for a website that was largely about what is coming out for the PS4. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I got, I think the game that got me back in was Persona 5. Mm. Persona 5 was the game that I played that was like, oh wow, this is a similar feeling I got from Mass Effect 2 that I got from Ocarina of Time. This is, and this feels like the future. Like it felt like, oh, this feels like what what an RPG could be. Um, there's plenty of stuff to improve upon even within Persona 5, especially with some of the writing and the characters, but it felt so exciting to be back in this world that I loved so dearly. And I suddenly, and, and I still grappled, like, because that's a game that really does take a while to beat. But I was like, I, I had wor- I've been working so hard doing my creative pursuit if like I was working two jobs where I would go to work and then I would say no to stuff that I really wanted to do because I knew I had to do that and and honestly for whatever if you if you have to if you have a day job or you have school and you or or you have a job in the industry but like you have some kind of project on the side that sacrifice is required to a certain degree but I think you really do also need to value time off and I think for me I've realized how much I missed that interactive nature that that kind of direct participation in telling a story and suddenly I'm I'm now at a point where I'm like I can't control everything I I, I I think that sometimes feeling guilty about giving yourself a break is is this idea like no today is gonna be all of this and I'm someone who plans out my weeks in advance because I am also that kind of uh, person where I do want to have that control but what I've started to do that I find a lot a lot better is I I have my planner and I don't write in it until the day of. I don't write it until I'm home from work and I'm like, what can I actually do today? Uh, and what and what would be good for me to do? There are some days where I leave work and I'm like, I'm so ready to work on this thing. And there are some days where I'm like, I can't even imagine doing anything but playing Breath of the Wild or something. Right. You know, and I think I think this is a lot about the guilt because I'm also someone that like is very conscious of time spent and I think that you should never feel guilty for partaking in an enjoyable experience that's for you obviously you know everything in moderation but i i think that more often than not we deny ourselves time off self-care if you want to call it that because we're conditioned to always be working and i think that everyone deserves that day or days where it's just about nothing but what you want to do that day and i think the thing that i try to do is like what is the intention of the day i think sometimes what happens is we plan on Today is going to be working out and writing a novel and doing all this stuff. And then the time comes and we can't and we feel bad. And then it's like, okay, well, I actually just want to play video games. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I can't believe I'm doing that instead of this. Maybe just let the day play out the way it's going to play out. And when you do find yourself in need of that time off, like make that conscious decision and don't feel guilty about it. That's what I do with myself. Again, easier said than done. But that's my hot take. Uh, thanks for listening to my uh, three-hour uh, spark notes of my life. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>
No, I think I think that's good. I think that's a salient point. To to kind of fill in a blank on my end, I I think my response to this question is a little bit similar in that like it wasn't until I played Kingdom Hearts one on the PS2 where I had that Final Fantasy VII moment that you had, where it's like, oh my god, yeah. these, this medium can tell a story, and like I can be really <laughs> engrossed, and like th- this this narrative can really pull me in. But up until that point, it was a lot of years of me saying like this is a thing that I'm doing to just like pass the time like this is just like a fun thing that is solitary and it's for me and a lot of that came hand in hand with like my parents being like hey stop playing video games all day like go outside fucking do something you know which would end up just inevitably being me walking outside with my Game Boy and going down the street to the kid that lived down the street uh, from me who also had his Game Boy and we would just play Pokemon together but outside uh, which like <laughs> that's what that I'm pretty up... sure we have done too actually oh we, we absolutely have yeah, yeah. Um, so it wasn't until Kingdom Hearts 1 where it was like oh my god like I am getting wrapped up in something. I think I was in fourth grade or like fifth grade when that game came out. Like yeah, that, was years that ago. came out when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade. So yeah, you're two years below me. Yeah, I just remember that being like a seminal moment in my life. Um, that was like my my awakening in a way. And up until that point, it had just been like this is a thing that you're doing to waste time. So like I I felt that way for a long time as well. Where it's like I mean you know me and people who like listen to this podcast and also the other one that I do about Terrace House and maybe like follow me somewhere like you know that I'm always working on something like I'm always 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 working on something that's like extremely my vibe like the second I got laid off from my job the first thing I did was start this podcast with you um, because I needed to fill my time with work because that's like what I'm conditioned to do but I do spend a lot of time playing video games and I think a lot of that uh, stems from me taking a really hard stance on both my own like mental health and well-being and like balancing out the work that I'm doing with a life and with like self-satisfaction and and enjoyment and also taking that idea that was instilled in me by my parents and other people in society saying like video games are just a way to waste time and like I'm not going to just sit there and like toil away for hours doing this thing that means nothing and saying to myself no when I played Kingdom Hearts when I was four I know this is lame because about Kingdom Hearts but like when I played Kingdom Hearts when I was in fourth grade like I got a really strong emotional reaction out of it it taught me a lot about myself and how I felt at that age Um, and going forward there are a lot of other games that I have felt similar ways about and not every game is that not every game is kingdom hearts for sure the same way like not every like not every tv show is breaking bad or yes exactly handmaid's tale like there are some shows that are like trashy reality TV that you just need or right. whatever. And though, you know? and I found I found that over time, and this is a thing I've never like thrown at those people, but like I found that over time, the people that say like, oh, video games are a waste of time, are the same people that do watch like reality TV all the time, um, and and don't balance that out with like a Breaking Bad or a Handmaid's Tale or things like that. You know what I mean? So it was like, okay, yeah, it's like, if that's how these people feel about TV, then like, why should I? Why should I feel the same way about video games? And at the end of the day it was like okay i i will play things like tacoma and firewatch and gone home and braid um that'll like really resonate with me and like these things are art and are wonderful and this medium is great and then i'll also just like play a shitload of destiny and just like watch the numbers go up every once in a while and it's a balance of those things that makes me feel okay about it yeah and i think i think some of the reservations too from people who may not play as much are like these are definitely outlier cases but i do think like if there's ever a scenario 
where someone is like just playing Call of Duty or like Fortnite all day and it's like actually getting in the way of like their human relationships, you know? Like yes. that's something that's worth kind of commenting on, but like I really don't think that's the norm. You know, like I really don't think that's like the same way. I mean, most of my life is having TV talked at me by my peers. And like so it's like yeah. I it's the same kind of thing. It's like not that I I ever uh, judge anyone for it, but it's the same kind of idea of like well, what do we consider wasted time? Yeah. You know, and, and why? If I'm, I if I'm getting something out of the experience, if I'm putting something in and getting something out, then I, I feel like it's not wasted time on my end. Yeah, I don't think there really is wasted time. I think I think the, the thing to avoid doing is feeling bad for taking time for yourself, which is kind of what my attempted thesis was at my eight-hour monologue earlier. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is to get real for a second. Like this is coming from someone who like didn't get out of bed for two years because like I, I was so fucking sad and like needed to see a therapist and didn't that like I definitely did actually actively waste a lot of time because my own brain yeah. was getting in my own way. So like sure. the, there's a stark difference between me sitting down and playing Destiny for three hours, you know, either by myself or with friends, doesn't matter, either one and like just lying in bed and not getting up you know, and like only getting up to like go eat something sometimes. Right. That is wasted time. And the other thing is not. And, and I think like, as long as I am, as long as I'm like revitalizing myself by playing something or getting something narratively out of it, or like asking questions or letting my mind go completely blank, like all of those are beneficial to me, I think in some way, shape or form. And it might be menial and it might be, might be in only small, minute ways, but all of that is important. Um, especially to balance out everything else that's happening in my life. When I sit down to play a video game at the end of a day of work, it's because I need something that's not work, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of what I was touching on earlier. So that, that, that really all those thoughts were kind of prompted by the, the word guilt in the question there. Uh, yeah. the board I think is more subjective and I, I think, uh, Kyle went on to mention, like, you know, that he's tried Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey, and those games don't, like, grip him the way he wants them to. Yeah. And, yeah, and, that, and that, that's just sort of exactly, like, subjective of, like, what you're looking for in that moment, especially if you need something to kind of wind down. Like, both those games are pretty big spectacles. I mean, I, I find Breath of the Wild very zen, but, like, yeah. there's also, like, so many ways to play that game that, like, and they also do, like, leave it so open that you might need a more catered experience when you're like, okay, I have an hour. You know, yeah. So I, I think that I think that just browsing what's out there and kind of mashing it up with what you're looking for, I think you'll find something that that does not bore you. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, I think I think that those are definitely questions worth asking, and I I hope that us sharing our experience maybe. Some of you could relate to it or some of you could uh, identify with that process. I think, too, there's a weird sense of like having to play catch up or having to. I, I think another conversation that was brought up in the Discord was like the guilt of finishing a game. I think I've said this on the show before, but I really don't think you have to finish something to say you've experienced it. It takes a lot for me to finish a game. It, 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 it is either because I feel like that's a game that like you do have to finish it to get the full effect of the story, or it's something that I've loved enough that I just completed. Yeah. I don't I don't know if, if I got Persona 5 later in my kind of return to playing video games, if I would have beaten it, because <laughs> that was like the first game I played in a while, and I just went through all of it in like a really gross like two weeks just like yeah. breeze through it if i played it like with the show we have now i probably would have done like the first chapter and moved on so yeah yeah i i mean i've talked about it a lot on this show so i'm not gonna just repeat myself over and over again but the 
Tarrytown thing in Breath of the Wild, like that is the ending of that game to me. I have no interest in going and seeing what's happening in Hyrule Castle or fighting Ganondorf. That I, I got as far as I wanted to in that game, and I felt that the conclusion was satisfying. And sometimes not having a conclusion is also satisfying. Like, will I go back to Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Probably not, realistically. Yeah. But I've seen enough of that game that I feel good about it. And and I think like as long as you can take that approach to like I've put as much time into this as I I want to. And I, I've stopped myself at either a natural or unnatural point. Like, as long as you feel okay about that, that's fine. I think, like, the idea of I've invested in this thing and I need to see it all the way through is, like, setting an unnecessary barrier for yourself that is frequently hard to cross. Because, again, we are, like, people who exist in the world who have other things that we need to do. You can't spend all your time playing a video game just to see the end of it. Yeah, that's kind of my yeah, take on that. Yeah, for but sure. Anyway, um, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, but thank you for asking that question, Kyle. And honestly, feel free to always bring that kind of stuff up in the Discord. I think it's we usually have some pretty cool conversations there, and we're willing to talk about that kind of that more personal side of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let's go back into the main show, the Canon show. Video games. Goodbye. Goodbye. Steven, we're back. We're back. You've been playing a game on the Nintendo Switch that came out during E3, Electronic 3 2019. First of all, actually, quick thing. Thank you to everybody who listened to that episode. Um, Yeah, for real. It was four hours long, and some of you definitely listened to all four hours. Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you for doing that. Uh, It's really cool. Yeah. I I mean, we always appreciate uh, all the positive feedback we get, but that episode seemed especially well-received, and we were happy because it was longer than Les Mis, twice. (laughs) Thank you for stealing a loaf of bread with us. Um, Justice versus Mercy is okay. Also, real question, real quick question: Is E three short for Electronic Three, or is that a goof you've been doing? It's the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Oh, okay. Oh, it's three E's. Yeah. Okay, I got it. I get it. I see what they're doing. I don't know why. Yeah. Just like a couple of years ago, I started saying Electronic Three, and it made me laugh, so I haven't stopped doing it. <laughs> I, I didn't even question you because I'm like, Brennan knows his stuff. <laughs> you, can, you confidently commit to it. I'll believe you. How many other things um, do I say all the time that you? don't know our bits i wonder probably i mean the most famously when you said crash bandicoot was in apex legends and i was like oh really that's kind of <laughs> seems like a big choice yeah wow. that was also like the f- <laughs> that was before they revealed octane so it was like the first new character yeah crash bandicoot. <laughs> could you imagine if the first new character in apex legends was crash bandicoot oh my, oh my god anyway anyway you're playing Cadence a video game high rule yeah yeah I picked up Cadence of Hyrule. Uh, it is a Switch exclusive, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> it's up to me. That was the wrong phrase, wasn't it? It's a Switch exclusive. Let me just double check. No, I like I it, though. PC. No, it's absolutely Switch exclusive. They would put Zelda <laughs> on another thing. <laughs> That's true. But what's cool about this game is that it was developed by Brace Yourself Games, an indie developer that made a game three years ago called Crypt of the Necrodancer. I, neither of us have played that, but that was sort of a... A roguelike that was set to the rhythm of the music of the game. Danny Baranowski was the composer. He did the music for Super Meat Boy and a few other big indie games. Yeah. Um, And also did the music, uh, the remixes of the Zelda soundtrack for this game, Cadence of Hyrule, which is basically the same central mechanics of Crypt of the Necrodancer, but in the Zelda world. So when this game was announced, it, this is another thing. It wasn't at E3, but it was the direct before that, I believe. And Nintendo was like, this is coming out soon. And everyone was like, Nintendo, for all their, for all their uh, positive nature, 
is infamous for just shutting shit down that even winks at the IP of any of their franchises. Yeah. I mean, I understand why they do it because, like, they have, you know, many legal reasons to do so. But, like, anytime there's ever been any kind of fan made. Like, dozens of Pokemon games have just been squashed, like, yeah. immediately. We talked about uh, Pokemon Crystal Clear on this podcast, which yeah. I think, like, got shut down, like, while we were in the middle of recording the episode yeah, about that Yeah, the episode game. also got taken off. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> uh, and, and again, like, I totally... That's not a negative... I don't, I don't think that's a... I understand why Nintendo does that. You have to do it legally. It's like, It's literally, like part of maintaining your intellectual property is that you have right. to shut down anything that uses it without your exclusive okay. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so, and I think with Nintendo, it happens pretty consistently with stuff like Pokemon and Mario and Zelda. So yeah. it is kind, it is really fascinating and cool to see them give their intellectual property to an indie developer. Yeah. And I think that kind of, that kind of uh, a, a lot of people have commented on this and how this is kind of an exciting thing to see happen because you know it's safe to assume that this will not be the last time they do that so what other things could arise from indie developers using nintendo ips um right that's kind of like a weird experimental subsection of their mainline games uh really fascinating that like in the same year we're gonna have cadence of hyrule and the remake of link to the past and then eventually Breath of the Wild 2. There's like three yeah. skill trees of Zelda developing at this point. The so Aura, the Breath- Magizoologist, and the Professor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so it's cool this game exists. And I've been playing it. Um, I really, really like it. So I picked it up kind of just out of obligation as a huge Zelda fan. And it looks cool. The, the concept was appealing. I started playing it. It's very much graphically in style with Link to the Past. So it has that kind of overview. Uh, each map is like its own square. So kind of like classic dungeon crawler Zelda stuff. Right. That's kind of been zeroed in on in games like Binding of Isaac. I think also the composer of this game did the music for Binding of Isaac. Oh, well. wow. Cool. So, so yeah. So you the the plot is basically i think cadence is their name uh the character from crypt of the necrodancer ends up in hyrule and learns that there's this like evil sorcerer who has captured four legendary instruments and you know the usual is all this stuff great uh, but it's cute it's done in kind of a self-aware way and you can choose to play as zelda or link in the beginning you eventually unlock both of them and you can switch them out uh at certain locations i chose zelda because i figured why not you know yeah if they're gonna let you play zelda then i would absolutely play zelda and they have different skill sets so i think link has his shield uh which i think it doesn't deflect things but i think you may be able to block like melee hits um and he has some other stuff i've been playing a zelda so she right out the back gets nehru's love which is she surrounds herself it's like the smash brothers move where she surrounds herself in the crystal yeah and it deflects cool. projectiles which is really useful uh and eventually you also get din's fire which rules so you can right you know shoot fireballs and blow them up the art of this game is really really well done like the the world map and the character sprites and all the animations and like the depictions of kind of enemies in the zelda world like lionels and skulltolas and Mm. uh like the various goblins and shrubs like all that stuff is really cool the artwork on the cover of the game is good but i think it doesn't quite represent how good the in-game presentation is and obviously i think most notably is the music 
some of these remixes are unbelievably good, which is yeah. saying a lot because I think Zelda's soundtrack is so iconic and beloved at this point that it's kind of like a no-brainer to point out. And there's also so many remixes of that, you know, as time has passed. But there's some really cool experimental stuff going on. Like there's one, there's one like house you go in, and there is like a very lo-fi hip-hop version of Song of Storms playing. Cool. That I literally just left the game on just to have in the background for a bit. I would highly recommend checking out the soundtrack to this game. It is unbelievably good, and. The, the main mechanic of the game is that whenever enemies are present, suddenly there's like a rhythm bar on the bottom of the screen and everything is kind of tiled in a way where you can only move around or do actions to the rhythm of the music. Yeah. Um, so it plays out kind of like a turn-based Zelda, but everyone is moving to the rhythm in different ways. All enemies have their own kind of attack patterns and rhythms that you'll learn and, and know how to work around. And what I really like too is that attack is the same button as moving. So oh, okay, you don't cool. often have to like change what button you're pressing. It's usually just the directions. Yeah. And you can also So if you're if you're use... moving upwards and then you press up and there's an enemy above you, then you attack that enemy. It automatically attacks. That's good. Them. Okay, yeah, cool. Exactly. I love that. And yeah, so so that's really neat. And like there are some like you had the classic items mapped out to the buttons so like if you want to use those items that also has to be to the rhythm yeah. which took me a while to get used to and also your moves like Nehru's love or din's fire are the shoulder buttons so every now and then you do a different button but most of the time you're just moving and attacking and this game is really hard like i'm just gonna let you know like because it, it took me a while to get used to the rhythm of it yeah literally and like right away like the first time i let like they, there's like a little tutorial I left the castle of Zelda and like the first map square, I just got my shit rocked and died. And I was like, wow. Okay. Whoa. So like they're not holding back. Is it a roguelike also? Is this one also a roguelike? Yes, it is. Interesting. So the way, the way that works, cause it's interesting to have roguelike mechanics mixing with Zelda because Zelda is, if there's one thread through every Zelda game, it's about kind of building yourself up. So it's about like mm. you get, you get more items that let you go to new places and let you do new things yeah. and get more hearts. So what happens when you die is you lose all your rubies, mm. all your small keys, all like your uh, like currency items, I guess. You keep all your equipment. So like if you had a sword or a flail or like a dagger or something, you keep all that, thank God. And you keep all your items that like you can use in the, in the um, empty bottles and all that kind of stuff. But you lose your rubies, you lose your keys, and you also get items like shovels that let you like dig through certain parts of the map and torches that aid your visibility when you're in dungeons, which is a thing. So all that stuff you lose. And when you die, you wake up in this weird void realm uh, that's actually a shop. And there are like three to five random items for sale. Mm. Um, Some of the, usually it's like a torch, a shovel. Uh, Sometimes there are rings that like, one ring lets you do more damage at low health. One ring lets you deflect projectiles. And you can buy them with diamonds, which are currency separate from rubies that exist after death. So you always have diamonds. Um, yeah, so that's similar to that, how the. Uh, Do you ever end up playing Solitarica on mobile? I haven't. No. Okay, it, it's a similar mechanic where when you die, you get there are two currencies. One of them's gold, and one of them I, I forget what they're called, but they're like like rainbow gemstones, and those are things that you can use to like progress yourself as a character every time you play the game instead of the in-game gold, which is for buying specific items on your run. Um, for sure. Which I think is a great it's a great thing to do. I I, 
think the idea of like a roguelike that doesn't give you any sense of progression at all it feels a little bit antiquated at this point. Like it worked really well when Spelunky came out, but like I don't know if I if I would want that still. Yeah, to this and I mean, day. I, I, th- I think the things that really pers- persist are like your heart, like your heart containers. Like if you if you have five hearts, you're still gonna have five hearts when you respawn. Right, that's great. You can upgrade your weapons too. Like I have a spear that will actually go two squares ahead of me. Which is really helpful. Oh, cool! And yeah, I enchanted that with something that whenever I kill five enemies, I regain half a heart. Oh, so nice! Like, yeah, I have that for the whole game. But what you lose is stuff like you might have a torch that lets you see where items are. Mm. You might have a shovel that when you dig through walls, it replenishes your stamina. So like enhancements like that. I found initially that I thought this game was really fun and kind of a clever idea, but I didn't really have a strong sense of direction. They kind of just throw you in and I wasn't sure like what I should be doing. So I'll say that like when you start the game, make an effort to clear like early on, especially clear out the map of enemies because like in, in a normal world map square, there'll be a group of enemies there may be a treasure chest, and the treasure chests have different like rules to them. So there might be a chest that you can just open whenever you get to it. Um, there might be one that you have to get to in a certain number of steps. Cool. There might be one where you have to clear out all the enemies in a certain number of steps. Mm. And the game doesn't like usually in Zelda. Like if you see a chest, like, okay, that will have something helpful in it. But like the key items are in the big glowing chests that are in dungeons yeah but in this game there are some items that you need to get to certain parts of the other areas that are just in random chests so like it is always worth checking out everything and i think not kind of singling out where important things are adds to the feeling of i think what the very first zelda was going for where like you're just exploring this world and seeing like what's in caves and stuff it's like that's the vibe they're going for, and they very much succeed on that. Also, whenever you clear out a uh, map square of enemies, you'll get at least one diamond. So, like, that's also an incentive because mm. you are stocking up on diamonds. Yeah, so it's it's a little tough in the beginning, but once you get used to it, then, like, you really do. Like, I feel like this game, I either feel like I'm falling so out of rhythm and just getting wrecked, or I'm, like, dancing this ballet of, success, of, of succeeding where I'm, like, out of the way, attack. Like, okay, I know that these enemies do that. So, like, once you know the enemies a little better, you can really move around and i think where this game went from being good to great for me were with the boss fights the boss fights in this game are so cool they're all modeled after the instruments that like they are like cursed instruments that have become these monsters so cool my favorite so far was uh and these these bosses are in dungeons so like there's a sense of progression where, like some areas might be locked so you'll go down to one floor of the dungeon you have to f- I think I think they're procedurally generated to an extent where like you have to find a key to get to the room of the mini boss and then you get the boss key or something. But still, you're not really given a clear indication of where to go unless you have something like the compass, which will give you like an arrow of, of where to go. Mm. There's also uh, like a psychic on the world map that will tell you where one of the four like temples are. Interesting. But you can find them pretty easily. So I've done two so far. I've done like the Zoro temple and the Deku temple. The boss of the Deku temple was the Gomra spider or Gomora, I believe. Yeah. But it was it was Gomoracas. Uh Great. and it was a spider with maracas for legs. Unbelievably good. And that fight was so cool because the music was great and it was very like almost folksy, like kind of uh like dueling banjos in a way. Uh, Great. uh 
with with the maracas obviously kind of clashing that but the boss would do this thing where it would spit webs and then when the eye was in front of you it would shoot a laser and that like the rhythm of the music to the boss fights feels so immediately noticeable and then when you got it down to a certain amount of health it would shake its legs and then the tempo picked up and you'd have to go faster oh cool that's so rad yeah those moments are i'm like this game is incredibly good i have to say the rhythm stuff outside of the boss fights is a little hit or miss for me, which sounds like a deal breaker because that's what the whole game is built around. It's pretty easy to get into the rhythm of it, but I just wish there was like some kind of either, I don't know if there's a vibration or not. I don't think there is, but I wish there was some stronger sense either visually or sonically or like with the controller that I am hitting in the rhythm because mm. like it's a little bit difficult for me to watch the bottom screen and like pull off these maneuvers uh, and like not like, like the soundtrack, it's pretty clear where the rhythm is, but I just wish there was like something else to give me like a stronger sense of like okay i'm doing it and, and maybe i'm alone on that but i i find that as like the boss fights i feel that so strongly and the game like shines outside of that uh i still really like it but i think like the intention of the game comes to full fruition in the in the boss fights for me so i've gotten to i've gotten the maracas and the oboe i think it might be a shorter game because there's only four i don't know if there's an area after that or something but there are also like you could play on extra hard mode where like you die in one hit and actually have to start over like oh wow no thank you Um, yeah that doesn't sound fun but yeah i'd recommend i think you would really like it because it has a lot of the stuff i think you like about roguelikes but without with with more of a zelda structure yeah i'll say this much so krypton necrodancer came out i like absolutely should have been a person that bought that game and loved it yeah it has like almost everything i like about video games in it uh the thing that prevented me from doing it was i enjoy playing roguelikes in the sense that once i am and i've mentioned this on the show before but once i'm so locked into the mechanics like roguelikes become my way of playing games while doing something else uh so like i have a tv show on the background or something Mm -hmm. like that um or i'm listening to a podcast or music or something and you cannot do that with Crypto the necrodancer because it is a game about listening to the music so i can't be watching tv or listening to a podcast and also playing Crypto the necrodancer at the same time um and because of that i've been a little bit up in the air about picking up cadence of hyrule but i think you make a really great point in saying that mechanically the the roguelike side of things and and the the constant improvement the persistent improvement and and i guess like leveling up to use like a weird antiquated video game term really does reinforce the like core tenants of playing a Zelda game in a cool way and that kind of speaks to me a little bit more than like anything else uh so I am I'm interested in checking it out for that reason I think I think you can also turn off the rhythm part of it which you is can kind of an interesting yeah. you can yeah. so you could do that if, if it's like really getting in the way of the experience I think it I think it adds to it but you know if you want to play it with music on or whatever you could do that yeah that's the thing I I want to experience all those remixes and all those things like I I'm a fan of video game music although I don't really talk about it as much on the show uh i definitely am and i listen to it a lot i am honestly i think the thing that like draws me most to it is the first thing that you mentioned which is like when has nintendo ever given the rights to like a a huge ip like this to an indie developer to someone outside of nintendo i almost want to support that like monetarily to prove to them that they should continue doing this because i I would love to see this kind of stuff happen with every IP that Nintendo has. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of the things that I keep seeing about the game in reviews is that like it feels not not to take the credit of the away from the people who worked on the game, but it does feel like Nintendo made it. Like it feels like in line with yeah. the game Nintendo's first party would make. I saw an interview and, with the developers of Cuphead where they were like, "We want 
this we want to do this like give us oh any, my god give us anything and we'll do like a hand-drawn wow. like cuphead cuphead-esque version of of any of your ip um which like i would hope that if they got that it wouldn't just be like let's just make cuphead but with mario in it like i you know I think you could you could do something a little bit more interesting, but at the same time, like give me that, like just just start greenlighting that stuff and then give it to me. I want that. So, I classic into the Aether podcast shit. I went into this thinking like I'm just gonna hear about Cadence of Hyrule and why Steven likes it, and then I'm not gonna play it. But like now, I kind of want to play it. Yeah, I think I think you'll also have that moment of like this is a good game, so this is a great game. Like depending yeah. on, I think the boss fights like absolutely rule. And I think that's where the roguelike stuff kind of can bite you in the ass because you might get to that boss with all the cool stuff you found in the dungeon and then you die and you're like, God damn it, like I yeah. lost my leg up. But you can also kind of bypass that with the diamonds. There's something cool for sale when you respawn. Right. And you can also always explore, like you can leave a dungeon and explore the rest of the map and come back. So yeah. the one thing I knew about this game going into this recording session was that the map does change depending like the map for everyone is different so like you might have like the lost woods to like your northeast but i might have it to my southwest uh which is really great i love that oh that's awesome yeah yeah Yeah, my i actually just did the lost woods tingle sold me a dowsing machine that let me find my way around uh so you know tingles here yeah it's well that's all you had to say steven i'm fully in (laughs) Another shout out that sometimes I'll leave the opening menu on because it's it's the Ocarina of Time menu screen. They're like, but it's a remix of that. And then when you click new gamer continue, someone's like voice is added singing like operatically to it. It's really good. Music is is unbelievably good. I think I think the rhythm stuff again, I, I could just use like an enhanced version of like me doing it well. I'm interested in trying without it. But I think I just I want to keep playing the game the way it was designed. So yeah, I would highly recommend this. I think it's like twenty-ish bucks. It's definitely going to I think be made or broken by how much you like the central mechanic. Right. I don't know if like this is a must-have for every Zelda fan, but I think at the very least people will really like the presentation and the music. And I think it's a really, really, really cool uh, entry point in Nintendo's library, if only for that idea of like Nintendo, not only have they recently been like publishing a lot of indie games, but now they are like working directly with the developers, which I think is a really neat thing. Yeah, cool. Cadence of Hyrule, available for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I think it's, it's also like, I think it's one of the best Switch games that come out in a while, which is saying a lot. Mm. I would highly recommend it. Okay. Duly noted. I will probably buy it uh, as soon as I'm done watching Neon Genesis because that's all I <laughs> Perfect. want to do right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I'll, I'll check this out. I was also planning on maybe talking about another game this week that you don't know about, specifically one that you haven't played that I've been playing uh, that I'm excited to tell you about, but maybe we'll do that next week because um, we've gone a little bit wow. long here, but I'm what excited. A, what a mystery. To, yeah, I'm excited planted. to talk to you about it. Yeah. I also just picked up uh, the collection of mana on Switch. Um, oh, yeah, I've never right. Played, yeah, I've never played any of those games. I wasn't sure like where, how it was related to Final Fantasy, but in short, like the first game of the Mana series was Final Fantasy Adventure on the Game Boy. Oh, wow. Spinoff. 
It was like a spin-off series. And then they just rolled into it being its own series for The Secret of Mana, which I only knew the cover of that game. It's like a very iconic cover. Yeah, uh, same. It's a really... And, and I, uh, I've i played a little bit of it, but the presentation for the collection on the Switch is really nice. You get the the cover of that game as like the sidebars for the cool the ratio yeah. presentation great and then there's a third game i think it's i think it's trials of mana it's one of the mana games that only came out in japan is now yeah uh now part on of the collection collection yeah. so i'll keep you posted on that i don't know when i'm gonna get around to them i like, just started secret of mana i had to name my character steve because they didn't have enough characters <laughs> for steven so i'll let you know about the adventures of steve uh, when they happen cool the adventures yeah. of steve that also sounds like it could be its own game <laughs> for sure but yeah let's wrap up yeah cool uh thank you to everybody who listened to this um thank you for everybody who's been listening for a long time we are uh now officially i would say very much into season two of this show um the second yeah. year which is very cool thank you to everybody in the discord uh you can head over there by going to bit.ly slash twg discord you can join the community which is uh growing and very cool um a lot of very interesting and good conversations happening there um we have a channel in there that's called cursed content where people just post like horrific shit all the time uh and too much shout out to aj our producer who <laughs> instated that every saturday shall now be blessed content where you can only post things that make you happy and feel good yesterday was our first official blessed content day and it was great let me tell you um so anyway that's there uh we also have a twitter account it's at into the cast we have a twitch account it's also slash into the cast i am planning on streaming some stuff there soon uh more details to follow Um, Okay, cool. Yeah, we also uh, would really appreciate if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, give us a review of this show or beyond that, just like tell somebody about it. Like that's how the show grows if you show it to other people. Um, So that'd be helpful. Grow the community, make it bigger and cooler and better. And yeah, again, shout out to AJ, our producer for for doing this show every week, specifically doing last week's episode because, oh my God. Yeah, thank you everyone for giving us uh, way too much of your time last week. Um, (laughs) I also want to, just since we, uh, in this episode, we kind of talked about Kyle's question. Like, I think, I don't want to speak in your behalf, but I think we're definitely open to having more of those kinds of conversations on the show. Oh yeah, Uh, definitely. I I can't promise like we'll always get to it, but if you have something that you think, at the very least you'd like to talk about in the Discord, I feel very open to. I think I think that's something that I like exploring and that I like kind of being questioned on because I can figure out what it is that that makes that makes video games so special for us and like what keeps us coming back now now that we're both kind of past that cycle of 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 kind of being out of the loop for a long time yeah because now i'm at a point where i just like i mean i think i'm playing more stuff for less time is basically where i'm at yeah and every Same. now and then there's a game that's like oh i gotta finish this like right near automata or breath of the wild or something like that where i'm like yeah this is gotta gotta do this yeah also speaking about the wild i liked your game of the year and time list for the last 14 years oh yeah there's uh, a thing that was going around on twitter that was like uh do your game of the year list for the past 15 years that I did and was really hard. It was really hard to make that list. It was really hard because there were some years where I'm like, I don't even remember what came out this year. And then there were some years like 2017 where I'm like, everything came out this year. Uh, That one was really hard. Yeah. I had to go because that was, I was between like, it was Breath of the Wild, Persona 5, Nier Automata. A few other things came out that year. Uh, Uncharted Lost Legacy. Mm -hmm. Crazy year. But I was like, I got to go with Breath of the Wild. That's going to be the one that like stands the test of time, I think. Yeah. I was a little 
little bit heartbroken though that Oblivion did not make your cut for 2006. It didn't. Um, that was a really difficult <laughs> year, but that was also the year I got a Wii and Twilight Princess. Oh yeah, which no, that, like <laughs> that that game like changed me playing Twilight Princess, but yeah, you know, no, so did Oblivion in, a, in its own special way. Um, one one of us had to do Oblivion, but but more refreshingly, both of our game of the year for 2004 was Katamari Damacy, which yeah. planted the seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just going to go down my list because I just have it open. I just happen to have it open uh, real quick. Sure, I'll do mine too. 2004, just to end the show, or this episode of the show, not the whole show. This is the end the of show's the show. The show's over. <laughs> Once we go through this See list, that's it. 2004, Katamari Damacy. Uh, 2005, Psychonauts. 2006, Twilight Princess. 2007, Bioshock. 2008, Braid. 2009, Batman Arkham Asylum, which I feel like is maybe a weird choice, but oof, I love those games so much. Uh, 2010, 2010 was also a hard one, but it had to be Minecraft, because what a, like, force. 2011, Skyrim. 2012, Hotline Miami. 2013, Animal Crossing New Leaf. How could it not be that? 2014, Destiny. 2015, Bloodborne. 2016, again, a weird choice. The Witness, a game that, that's one of the, first games in a long time at that point that I really felt compelled to like beat all of like 100% like I had to get the platinum for that game 2017 Breath of the Wild 2018 again contentious between you and me at least Hollow Knight yeah Hollow Knight I love it that's a really cool list I tried when I did mine I was like okay I definitely want to keep a balance of like what I was really into at that time and also what I think deserves to be it now yeah I tweeted this with my list but like this that list only does an okay job at like representing how I feel about video games. Like there's so many important games that are left off that list that like really bum me out. Like the fact that Fez isn't on there, like really, really bums me out. That's the first one that comes to mind, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, So mine, uh, 2004, Katamari Damacy also. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2005, Resident Evil 4. Uh, Yeah. Felt felt right. Yeah. Between that and Psychonauts, that really fucked me up trying to decide between (laughs) those two. There was there was some where I feel like one of us did the other, like we kind of caught the other one. Yeah, in a weird I am way. playing that game on Switch right now, by the way. I haven't mentioned it, but Ooh, I, I maybe we'll talk about that on Halloween. Yeah. Oh, um, that'd be great. Oh yes, let's season. do that. Okay. Cool. I'm I'm saving actually getting the Resident Evil Two remake and potentially Devil May Cry Five for Halloween time. Cool. 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 Okay. So we'll onward to those. 2006. 2006. The Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion. This is like the main root of most of my comedy too. So yeah. I just like had to like absolutely. Oblivion is just like the best and worst thing to ever happen yeah, to me. Yeah, that's the thing. Between Obliv- like it was between Oblivion and Twilight Princess and like Twilight Princess is what set me off on my like love of Nintendo games because I had never had that experience until then. So it was like that changed how I played games, but Oblivion changed how I speak, think and act. <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird choice for me. 2007 I put Team Fortress 2. Great. This, as I've said often, I'm not really super into shooters, but Team Fortress 2 was a game that came out that I was like immediately drawn to. Was that in the that, Orange that, Box collection, or yeah, did you it was. get it separately? That was, the, that was the year of the Orange Box. I originally had it on 360, which like no one played it. Yeah. Uh, but then I got it years later on PC, and that was like the first shooter I got really into. Obviously paved the way for stuff like Overwatch, yeah. which I like more, but I think TF2 was like a real like i think tf2 really paved the way for like a new genre of of stuff that like i normally wasn't drawn to yeah i love the sense of humor and all that kind of stuff uh another weird choice 2008 i put persona 4 um i wanted to put a persona game here and i was very close to putting persona 5 for 2017 but i i couldn't so i looked at what came out in 2008 um and persona 4 just felt like the right choice what are you, what are you laughing at this is just a very classic thing for us to do is to say goodbye and then do a whole other segment <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll go faster no no, no it's fine it's fine just whatever it's, it's 2009 a- dragon age origins oh yeah uh, it's a game that 
I played after playing the Mass Effect series, and I was like, oh, this is okay. And whenever I go back to it, I like it more and more. That mm. game is... Anytime any any like big RPG is announced, they're like, the story is going to play out so differently. Every Everything is going to be different. And like, yeah. I feel like Dragon Age Origins is the closest to actually doing that. Mm. The fact that I can team up with werewolves and they just camp out with me for the rest of the game, and when I ask them what they need for the battle, they go, well, we're werewolves, so like we don't really need much, is awesome. just the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> Cool. Uh, 2010 Mass Effect 2, I mentioned that. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've really talked about Mass Effect much on this show, other than that I really love that series. Yeah. We should talk about that sometime, because that's the only yeah. one that I've played. Two's the best one, like, by yeah. far. That's what I kept hearing, so far. I was like, let me just play that one, and none of the other ones. Mass Effect 1 has a, it does a great job of introducing the world, and is probably, like, the most legit, like, classic-ass sci-fi story. The, the twist in the plot and, like, all that, but I don't think the characters really come to like their full potential until two and two just plays so much better one is like unplayable in certain moments but i i I think it's a bit dramatic but like i played one after two and i was like this is really rough this is really rough for me but and three is is good too but two is just like perfect they struck gold at that one 2011 also was close to putting skyrim but i went with dark souls uh yeah yeah because i just kind of I had to highlight the the Soulsborne Sekiro brand in some way. Yeah, uh, it was yeah, it was between those two for me. Again, I kind of caught you there. Uh, Twenty twelve was Journey. Journey is one of the most beautiful games I've played, yeah. both visually and thematically. It that I'm was also sucker. between those two for me. It was that or Hotline Miami, yeah. and it really fucks me up that I like that those were the games I had to choose between because like you could not have more <laughs> like opposing themes in video games than Hotline Miami Seriously. and Journey. <laughs> it's like yes, like one hundred percent to opposite sides of the spectrum. Yeah, any game that does has a theme of like you are secretly helping a real person for no benefit of your own like mm-hmm. fucks me up yeah the near automata does that journey did that really really good 2013 fire emblem awakening uh yeah. this is something where i definitely went with like how i felt at the time because that was the same year that i think uh, last of us came out and a lot of a lot of big games came in 2013 yeah but that was the first game that was the first time i played the fire emblem series and i really loved it that was when i only had a 3ds and i was glad because i got to play that game yeah the seminal uh, moment that we've mentioned on this podcast before but of me working at a starbucks playing Animal Crossing New Leaf on all my breaks and you coming to visit me at Starbucks and we went out behind the Starbucks and sat on a bench and you told me why you loved Fire Emblem Awakening and I told you why I loved Animal Crossing New Leaf with both that was our 3DSs. officially the first episode of Into the Aether. Yeah. It was just sort of like <laughs> guerrilla theater Into the Aether. Uh-huh. 2014 Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, I played this game way after 2014 but I think it was a really good follow-up to Origins. I didn't play 2. I know people kind of divided on 2. One day I will but Inquisition while the actual game and the open world stuff was kind of whatever the role-playing stuff in that game and like being the inquisitor and all that like i really really loved that that was a great time 2015 i had absolutely no choice it was undertale undertale Mm. like literally changed my life it fucked me up and i think it's one of the most beautiful experiences i've had like with media yeah um 2016 uncharted 4 also like unbelievably good first uncharted game i played made me cry great story was not expecting it at all yeah at all that game has every right to be the most like stale boring like milk toast shit uh, <laughs> and it yeah. somehow is like riveting we've talked about my my theory on that game right uh maybe what, what was oh uh, you said it was that like 
that game came out it was perfect in every way and no one had anything to say about it so it just kind of went under the radar yeah like, it was so good that there was nothing you could say you like there was no like discourse to be had about that game so you just moved on to the next thing yeah i i and i really love lost legacy as well the only reason i would probably say i liked four more is because i feel like lost legacy unfortunately the way it's written i feel like you do need some kind of pre-existing knowledge of the series to like get the most of it even though i think the two lead characters very much stand on their own i just kind of wish it was written in a way that it was like their stories were propped up as like their own thing with relying less on sort of the drake family if that makes any sense Mm, yeah um but both really good games breath of the wild 2017 and 2018 celeste one probably one of my favorite games of all time yeah refer to Uh, our game of the year episode from 2018 to hear uh Steven and I expound upon Celeste and Hollow Knight and why either of them should be game of the year, even though and we, we ended Spider-Man. Up <laughs> Spider-Man, yeah, I was going to say, like, next year, we're I, not that I not that I feel bad that we chose Spider-Man at all, because we both love Spider-Man, but that that game of the year discussion was like a shadow war between Celeste and, and uh, uh, Hollow Knight, and we were like, okay, the compromise is Spider-Man. We're both happy with Spider-Man being one, but, like, what's number two? Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of like in the Oscars where, like, best picture is, like, everyone's third favorite movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, that's the best picture. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's it. Uh, We're going to say goodbye now, though. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, actually. Goodbye, actually. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Garbage dot online.